And welcome to yet another rousing round of the Dice of Screaming podcast. Ah, ah. Brought to you by Panel World. For all your paneling needs, Panel World. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, we're coming at you. It's Freeform Friday, so we're in pretty good moods. We're in fit and fine fettle for the weekend. Yes, we are. So, so uh, we've got some beautiful weather coming here to coming soon to a city near you. Yeah, uh, very pleased. <clears throat> about spring this. is sprung. Yeah, early. Well, you know, you know maybe uh, Boxitani Phil was not completely wrong. I, I think he nailed it this year. Yeah. I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope. Uh, yeah, we'll probably get a few more uh, Michigan uh, bouts here, but yeah, Michigan does not. <laughs> One does not lightly dismiss winter in Michigan. It's like, uh, you know, one does not just walk into Mordor. One does not lightly dismiss Michigan winter. It's Unless you're a space Well, that's wolf. it. It's over now. I'm sure everything will be fine. You, We don't actually take our chances on making bold statements like that until somewhere around mid-June. So, <laughs> and so, even then, it's done with caution. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we had it snowing here in the middle of July a couple of years ago, so... No, I, I do believe I remember that one freak that uh, it, it wasn't just a couple of years ago, was it? Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it caught everybody off guard. Like, really? Seriously? A winter that would not die. Mm. Uh, kill it! It was like the Rasputin of winters. It just literally had been stabbed, shot, poisoned, burned. Nothing would kill it. It just keeps coming! It's the Winternator! <laughs> Bad, but yeah, that winter did not want to go easily yeah, into the night. It was a bad 80s horror movie, Winters. All right, so uh, we've got some call-ins this time. And, we do. Uh, we do have uh, call-ins from Joe and Jason. So they're going to fill us in on our last podcast, Dealing with Diseases and Plague. So we're going to just turn it right over to them. So take it away, fellas. First, we're going to start out with Joe. Yo, what up, dudes? It is Joe, and that was a super timely episode you put out on Diseases. I, I, I tend to incorporate like big plagues and stuff in my uh, world building, like something that happened a century or so ago and wiped out a big portion of the population. But I've never really used them like in the actual game itself, like mechanically or anything. I don't think I have at least, but maybe I might have to maybe I might have to give that a whirl. Uh, I, I do think it's funny that you'll always see spells for that PCs can get that lets them cast disease on bad guys. And that just, that never works out because yeah, you cast a spell, maybe they fail their save, but then you just kill them and then you just wasted that spell. I just, yeah, I always think that's funny. They're more, they're definitely more for like bad guy NPCs to use. But anyway, boys, great stuff. Peace out. Hey guys, Jason here barreling through the dark on the way to work. Just listened to your episode on disease and plagues. Excellent. Two wonderful quotes in there, or references in there. You had Korgoth, of course. And then the other you didn't call out. Actually, it wasn't a quote on your part. It was a missed opportunity on your part that I'm very sad about. But, you know, when you talk about the disease and the cure, of course, the only, the only quote that matters is crime, it's a disease, and I'm the cure. Of course, I can't do a Stallone accent, but no doubt one of you can. And I know you guys know what movie I'm referencing, so I won't mention the name. So, disease and um, plagues. I haven't really messed with plagues a whole lot in games. Disease we have, and after, coming up to a minute, so I'll leave you another message about disease and games. My good buddy Dave Aldrich, 
of D Percentile Podcast runs an online The Black Hat game. And I've been playing in that. And diseases are prominent in that game. Be it Swamp Foot, you know, from, or be it um, other things. So the way he does diseases in that typically are there isn't really magical healing per se. You can go to the local barber, you know, Theodore of York, medieval barber. You, you can go to the barber and, and try to get it cured, and there's a chance it'll get cured. But usually you have to let it run its course. And to run its course in the black hack, he gives it a usage die. And so what will happen is at the end of every session, you'll roll a saving throw against against maybe your constitution. If you fail, you'll lose, you know, a point or maybe a D4 of points off your attribute. Uh-oh, coming up to another minute. So if you fail, you'll lose a point or a few points of off your attributes, which in the black hack you'll gain back over levels. But the cool thing is you have that usage die, so you also roll a usage die. And then once that usage die runs out, so the way usage die works with D6, if you roll one or two, then it drops down to a D4. Then you roll one or two, it's done. And it, you can go all the way up with that. But so that way the disease runs its course, but you don't know how long it's going to take to run its course. And you're knocking down, you're potentially losing tributes while it's running its course, depending on the saving throws. So it's a, it, it's a really neat mechanic. It works really well, and Dave has done it masterfully in his game. So just want to give him that shout out. Again, great episode. Sorry I don't see on the Facebook or the Twitch or the Twitter or the MeWe or the MySpace. I don't do any of those things. But um, I will give you a call after your next episode. Take care. And we're back. So, yeah, thanks, Jason and Joe. Just all lumped you in there. Um, yeah, um, start with uh, G- uh, Joe. See, Jason, Joe. Too big, right? uh, yeah, Joe, uh, definitely speaking that, yeah, the Inflict Disease spell does not see as much... Uh, yeah, not a not a big see as much yet. highlight because you know first of all it's kind of one of those things even if you're playing an evil PC it's it's just kind of a waste of a spell slot because you're normally going to butcher them anyway. So, yeah, uh, what enemy are you going to be in a battle with where like your your strong suit is unless you're a servant of a deity that is all about disease and illness mm-hmm. then that's yeah that's it's, where I was it's almost go. an act of worship at that point like. Oh, my Dark Lord. Yeah. I gave that total stranger the withering craps. Yeah. Uh, you know, and... Gave your... him the red shakes, and yeah. that's often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he's got a scorching case of the crabs. You know, just... It, okay, that's cool, but you're right. A, a regular player character, even an evil one? Oh, jeez, you can really finish the job a lot quicker wailing on him with a mace. Yeah, and unless you're playing like a priest of Urgothoa or a cultist of Nurgle, you're, you, there's no sense of taking that as a spell But I, I like that you mentioned that because that is a thing we totally should have covered is the value of subtle enemies as NPCs, like controlled by the Dungeon Master. Uh, subtle enemies zapping player char- characters with it without their necessarily you know, having an opportunity to fight back. Uh, you know, getting something like that cast on you, and then they, you know, send the minions forth to be slaughtered while they get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of merit there to that as a DM tactic. If you want to introduce, like, diseases to your, your players, it doesn't necessarily always have to be stuff like mummy rot uh, from getting punched. It can also be uh, cast upon your players by evil priests. So it, it's a good tactic for them, 
But, not so much from your players, but not yeah. so much for the players. Unless you got a party of Ergothoa worshippers, which eek. yeah, oh, right. pallid princess can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fellowship of the wet cough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, on Jason. Well, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the quotes, but uh, yeah, Cobra, no. Okay, well, I'm um, sorry to disappoint you on that one. Hey, but, uh, you know, Sly Stallone was awesome in Demolition Man. Uh, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he's not completely without merit, but Cobra, uh, <laughs> not one of his more shining moments. So. No, all right, perhaps not. It, it, that is classic 80s, though. You know, it was that era. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Judge Dredd did it better, but oh, not oh, him. Oh, Thank you, Carl Judge Urban. Dredd. Anyway, but yeah, I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, People uh, rename certain diseases in certain ways. But, uh, yeah, Pathfinder and uh, I think Warhammer Fantasy had another one. Yeah, especially the Nurgle rot is an insidious one over a period of time. And, you know, you lose attribute points. And, of course, uh, different systems, different uh, uh, mechanics. But uh, they still translate out the same. You know, you don't know how long until it passes what ravages it's going to leave you with. Yeah, purely at random. And I I like that feature in a lot of different systems. I I think that that is a good way to adjudicate uh, the progression of a disease. Yeah, you just don't, like, you know, roll over and die within Random severity, Mm -hmm. you know, that, like, all right, some people are going to get sick for a while and then get better and it's all fine. And some people, it's going to just ravage them to within an inch of their life. Right. And some others... Hemorrhagic fever, you know, called uh, brain burn or the palate princess's kiss. Yeah. However you want to name it, um, definitely uh, leave you ravaged mentally and physically. So, you know, they can definitely be one of the more debilitating diseases when players catch them. So, yeah, good good on you. Uh, so, thanks for... Uh, the, glad you enjoyed that episode and... Uh, we were a little tepid about it because, well, you know, like, should we say something about this because of the current events? But, you know. Uh, we decided to just go ahead, run with it, and get it out now while it's timely. Yeah. Uh, before it becomes tragic, because uh, there's the possibility that it would be in very poor taste later. It's it's great to laugh and make a few jokes now before things uh, could theoretically be much worse. Uh, so it, it yeah, just and seems we're hoping that everything right just turns it. out. But you know, there, there one are hopes for the best. You know, we're hoping that time uh, passes and uh, people uh, manage to do the right thing and just be conscious about what they uh, if they get sick and how to do it right and hope the best for everybody out there. Hey, uh, I can't say for sure, but back during the swine flu era, I, I had a round of uh, a flu that was. So fantastically awful that uh, I ached from head to toe. I, I thought I was like, you know, what is this crap? Is it like dengue fever? You know, I'm, I'm just head to toe bone aches, chills, mm-hmm. you know, uh, almost at the point of hallucination. Uh, and it finally broke. Uh, but that was years ago. And I got through that all right. Yeah. But it was no peach. Let me tell no, you. No, no. I'm, I'm hoping that everybody just, you know, uh, it, it passes us quietly and... Uh, as best as we can endure it. But all right, um, so off of that and on to better things, we're going to talk a little bit about our topic tonight since it's Freeform Friday. It is gaming-related, but uh, we're just going to keep it a secret for a little bit longer. But uh, The kimono will merely flutter, but we are going to flashback, back, back. Yeah, it's a flashback. And uh, yeah, Jason, that machine, Mr. Peabody. And speaking of that, Joe, yeah, 2004 called and wants his MySpace back. <laughs> Who uses MySpace anymore? Is that even a thing? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, wow, that does take me back to them. 
you know, uh, to the halcyon days of crappy GIF animations all over your shrieking phone lines. Yeah, uh, <laughs> slow load times. Like I'm gonna go make a cheese sandwich, you know, and just grill it slow in the kitchen while I wait for this one meme to load. Yep, it's a cat picture. Hang in there, you know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Actually, my favorite was the Demotivator site. Uh, Demotivator is, was the uh, site of my uh, corporate crime spree. So. I, uh, I, I in particular loved the bear catching a salmon out of a creek. Yep, and it was, I'm, sometimes the journey of a thousand miles, miles ends very, very, very badly. I put that up in our boardroom and then there was a big investigation of who did that. <laughs> Which led to them putting cameras all over the place. So I think I improved the place at the same time as making my message clear. <laughs> I got my point across. All right. So we'll catch you guys on the flip side as soon as we get back from doing a little bit of advertising after these messages. So stick around. All right. And we're back. So thanks for sticking around. Welcome once again to the... <laughs> unwarranted scapegoat of gaming podcasts in keeping with tonight's theme. Oh, unwarranted scapegoats. Yeah. yeah, totally. It should not have been like this, but, you know, hey, we'll take the blame. Why not? Yeah. We're yeah. bad. We got broad shoulders. We're the bad boys of uh, of gaming. Uh, or, you know, really just, you know, the vaguely naughty fellows <laughs> of gaming. Yeah, at best. Yeah. <laughs> the misdemeanor of podcast gaming. <laughs> You're not going to see any real jail time off of this, but you probably will pay a fine and you'll feel bad. This is you know, like more of a drunken, disorderly, peed on a dumpster, you know, that kind of, you know, that that's about the worst. One. Yeah. <laughs> and less said about that, better. All right. So what are we talking about tonight? Why are we using scapegoats? Well, we're going to be talking about Operation Sun Devil and its antecedent. Steve Jackson Games versus the United States Secret Service. We use Operation Sun Devil because, hey, it sounds cool. and It's an awesome name, okay? It sounds so much cooler than like just the name of a court case against the, the U.S. Secret Service. But it all hails back to something that we did touch on, um, you know, briefly uh, and in less detail during a larger coverage of the great panics of the 1980s and the many attacks on gamers that were a side effect of a culture of paranoia and just oh. general, you know, creepy grumpiness. Uh, this sense that you're like, it's different and new, and therefore it must be evil. Uh, I don't understand this, so I'm going to hate it. Yeah, yeah uh, that kind of crap was just constantly present. It was, it was a factor of everyday life in the 1980s. If you were a gamer or a fan of any music made after 1960. So, <laughs> uh, it rapidly became uh, a part of our subculture to remember yeah. these, these things. And Operation Sun Devil was the start of it, although the Secret Service raid uh, did happen on Steve Jackson Games. It did happen on the 1st of March in 1990. So we are nigh on to the thirtieth anniversary of it. Yeah, this is this is that kind of anniversary period of that special moment in nineteen. Oh yeah, we call it special moments. Special moments. <laughs> yeah, special moments in gaming embarrassment. So, all right, look, what is it about? Well, you see, back 
in uh, 1988, way back then, Bell South became aware that a document relating to its 911 system. Oh, uh, by way of background explanation for our younger peers, uh, Bell South was one of the branches of Bell Telephone, the gargantuan squid-like uh, <laughs> entity uh, that controlled almost all telephone activity in the United States before the era of cell phones. The, yeah, I'm going to interject it. Landline for, networks. Yeah, landline networks where rotary and dial tone was coming in, in fact. And uh, anyhow, you know, there was one thing that you feared more. More than the Secret Service. It was the phone police. Oh, man, it's the phone police. Yeah, they're coming. They they have no rain nor let on their authority. They can come and get you at any time. Oh, yeah, these guys had, like, holy writ. You know, they had carte blanche from yeah. the king to just, you know, like, <laughs> oh, man, you know, the police. I mean, they might take out the batons and smack you around a little bit on the way to the station, but, but the phone police, they'll really mess you up. <laughs> Yeah, and WKRP, uh, that's the whole thing about it. Johnny run. Fever, yeah, running on... from the phone police. Yeah, I made a bunch of unsolicited calls back in the day, and, well, he's been on the run ever since. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, Bell South was part as that squid-like monolith of Ma Bell before it was compl- when it was uh, being broken up into various subsidiaries. And anyway, they had a proprietary document about their 911. Uh, call system that showed up on a bulletin board system, if you remember those. Before there were forums, there were BBSs, so we'll have to spell it out for you because, you know, if we just said BBS, people like, oh, excuse you. No, bulletin board systems. And it was reported to the Secret Service in July 1989 because they were the one tasked to enforcing this stuff. Now, <clears throat> yeah, this was comparatively new technological issues, so there was a competition amongst agencies as to what federal agency would handle these interstate types of crimes. Yeah, and the Secret Service was tasked with wire fraud and interstate... Uh, yeah. Um, interfering with our communication system and all that stuff. I, I want to say that at that time there was actually a legislation for it. And, you know, surprisingly, you find out a lot of things. But anyway, who ran that bulletin board system? Why, that would be none other than Lloyd Blankenship, who was at the time employed by Steve Jackson Games... And he was the moderator of the bulletin board system, the Illuminati. Now, now he's going to go already and take yeah, it. Yeah, all right. I, I, I hand gotta, it off to Mike. I got to throw this one in here by way of background explanation. Uh, in defense of Steve Jackson Games, Lloyd Blankenship did not show up and go, Hey, I am an internationally renowned hacker who works anonymously uh, doing things that are patently illegal. This was not his selling point. Okay? No. The guy did not pimp himself to Yeah, get he didn't a job show up. With... Okay, what are your references? Uh, well, I'm a member of the Legion of Doom, second generation, and I wrote the uh, Hacker's Manifesto. Yeah, Lloyd Blankenship did, in fact, uh, belong to the Legion of Doom, uh, along with Ecstasy Elite and, you know, various... Oh, uh, yeah. Those cats. Uh, yeah, he, he belonged to these rather rarefied cliques of early hackers of the end of the 80s and early 90s. And <clears throat> his activities... Uh, had not yet been traced back to him at the time that he also, happening to be a gamer, was fortunate enough to use his computer skills to moderate a company BBS for Steve Jackson Games for their game Illuminati. Oh, well, he had served a brief time in federal popular. prison for uh, phone <clears throat> yeah. charges. Uh, and he had served that, and it, that was a whole thing. Yeah, it was very small. 
so this had not greatly impeded his ability to offer his services and be involved in the community. So Although, now, they did not have a firm grasp of this guy is going to be viewed as an international criminal. So, if you can imagine, you know, that he's sitting in the, you know... The uh, stink with the rest of the guys. Uh, yeah, he's they're, they're like chained to a bench, waiting to you know get sentenced, and you know there's a guy next to him. What did you do? Uh, I made some unsolicited phone calls using a uh, device uh, salvaged out of the bottom of a cereal box. Uh, weird. So, uh, you know, I, I just got arrested for a 17 murder string, and uh, I, I hear they're aiming to give me, uh, like, 20 years. Uh, what'd you get for your cereal toy, kid? 22 years. Wow. Yeah, they edge away. Everybody in the rest of here, uh, these hard criminals all edge away from... What, you got 22 <laughs> years for making a phone call? Pretty much. All the others on the Group W bench just moved away. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it was, you know, hey, you, you know, guys want to make a phone call? <laughs> well, don't you need one of them things from a cereal box? No, 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 no. That's what I first started. I got you back, bro. We got So, that. yeah, so Lloyd Blankenship, you know, he had already been, he was on law enforcement's radar. And, he, again, he didn't show up to uh, Steve Jackson game saying, hey, I'm going to go and uh, write a manifesto about how to hack he was involved in the creation of the cyberpunk rules, and since he did know about the hacking community, you know, and was at that time before the word became coined, he was a hacktivist, and you know, his um, hacker's manifesto was a conscious, conscientious hacker. Yeah, you know, uh, things that you do, you don't do. Yeah, there was an ethos uh, to the hackers of that time period that was very different from the incredibly partisan and profit-oriented hacking of today. Uh, the hacking of that time uh, was more like the kind of thrill-seeking of uh, digital mountain climbers. You know, yeah, and splunking. Uh, once upon a time, you had people who would go like, "I was the first to climb Everest," uh, and that was the heroism of the early 20th century. Or, I have set a record flying a plane across the entire Atlantic Ocean and landing in Europe. Uh, Theirs was, I hacked the CIA. Yeah, and this was, you know, deeds of daring do that, honestly, they didn't go in there and say, hey, I'm going to just burn the system down, uh, or I'm going to create abject chaos. The point was to get in and to be able to prove that you were there, to take something out with you, uh, and they left things intact for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, they just got in, proved that they could do it, and then left. Now, obviously, it didn't take long for this to evolve into things that were worse than that. And at some point, the federal government did have to start setting some really strict policies. Like, you know, we just can't let this go on. There is too much material being stored in digital, new digital formats that is not secured well enough against these kinds of incursions. And it was inevitable that harm would be done that was irreversible, such as the spread of the first major computer viruses, and some of those were extremely malicious. The Michelangelo 314? Yeah, now, as you look at that, you can really understand where the federal government was coming from in cracking down hard. However, worth mentioning, they did not draw a great deal of distinction between actions that did an enormous amount of harm and actions that did no harm at all. Uh, they lashed out with equal fury at anyone 
who took any kind of action that could be described and, as Right, and that's where know, we're going to go with this. So, so we, yeah, we just that, wanted to... us, that gives you a framework to understand how this all came about. Yeah, so they executed a search warrant on Steve Jackson Games on the 1st of March, 1990. And uh, they took three computers, tried to break into a file cabinet, and bent a letter opener, as I understand it. And took over 300 floppy disks. Among that was the master copy of the GURPS Cyberpunk Rules, which was written by Blankenship and uh, which was about to release within the next few months. It was about ready to be sent to the printers and all that. So the Illuminati server included private emails from and to uh, other employees inside Steve Jackson Games. Oh, uh, another side note. I, I'm sure most of our listeners already know this, but some newer listeners may not know that Illuminati was a... Hilarious and fun card game by Steve Jackson Games, okay? Uh, well, not all card game, but I mean... It, it yeah, was, it was a little card game back then, yeah. and it required... It had kind of its... It was based on conspiracy theories yeah. and that you were playing, like, the Freemasons or uh, yeah, the, the Brandon... Rosicrucian Order, yep. you know, and you just each were moving your, adve- your agendas forward and lashing out against one another as you, you know, aimed for world, world domination... domination. And your card game. And so this is why they had a bulletin board called Illuminati. Now, uh, if you were a gamer with a sense of humor and like a certain amount of knowledge of history, this was a hilarious game that was enormous fun. Not kidding. If you were, say, for instance, a (laughs) bullet-headed primate who had like never really taken anything aside from, you know, like gym class and uh, law enforcement and you know, Bible study, then all of this was literal to you. You totally believed it. Right, well... You got no sarcasm or irony value out of this, like, oh, they're not poking fun. No, they mean this. This is real. They named their bulletin board service Illuminati. Yeah, that's how crazy these people were. Well, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we're trying to, you know, just get over here. But anyway, (laughs) as Mike so pointed out there, that there's a lot going on in that time, and people looked out from the outside. First of all, Let's talk about what was a hacker to a lot of people. Now, they put together a profile. Usually it was a young, upper-middle-class, white uh, youth who was into heavy metal music because all these cats that they... It was like late 1980s. Who wasn't? Well, if you're a white. (laughs) But, yeah, they were into heavy metal music because a lot of them had Slayer, Venom, Exodus... Napalm Death records all over the place. Um, they were technically hip, uh, proficient in computers and electronics, and were also strangely fascinated with this strange game called Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it happened from time to time. Because if you were in a computer club, which a lot of these guys were... I guarantee you, you knew somebody who was in 2D&D. Hey, would you like to play, you know, the game of Dungeons and Dragons this week? You know, I have this really sweet half elf paladin, you know, that like, you know, we're going as one quest to rescue the silver princess, you know. And you guys are like, yeah, sign me up, man. That sounds cool. All right, man. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, but you know, like that's the dude who lent you your very first floppy disk copy of uh Ultima. Ultima, yeah. Yeah. Or or Bard's Tale too, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so I mean that's your bros. So why not? So yeah, all right. Gaming and computer knowledge went hand in hand. But being a hacker be is a very rarefied skill set. First yeah. of all, you have to have a, de- a certain degree of comfortability with electronics. I'm not saying you have to be an electronic engineer to possess a degree in it. 
but you have to know how to solder together your own stuff, often making your own custom-made parts to do what you want. Yeah, this was necessary at that time. Because there was no stuff that they needed for a lot of the specialized tools that they needed before there was USB and all this other stuff. They didn't they exist. You had to build them. You couldn't go to a Radio Shack and just buy the finished product. You had to <laughs> build everything. You had to go scratch. to Radio Shack and buy three or four components yeah. to assemble one thing. So you had to know how to do that. Yes. You'll notice we're not giving any names to anybody. We're not. No. We're, we're not revealing any information that would be harmful to the, uh, or to be corrupting to the minds of youth. So That's right. Yeah, we have to distance ourselves. <laughs> not that this stuff is of any value anymore because it's been like 35 years. It's laughable. <laughs> but yeah, but at the time you had to, you know, to be a hacker didn't mean that you could just play Dungeons and Dragons or listen to heavy metal music and have access to a computer. You also had to have a knowledge of the telecommunications grid that existed at that time, as well as security protocols and how to also use the phones to bounce and drop calls from one area to the next and get picked up. So it looked like you were calling from Sri Lanka. <laughs> yeah, covering your trail was an important thing. Otherwise, the phone police catch up to you pretty quick. Yeah, they do. And then you also had to know how to code. And so you put all these skills together. It was a rarefied person who could exhibit all these. And, of course, Lloyd Blankenship and a few others were now, of this again, rarefied breed. By way of explanation, it's worth mentioning that almost no one <laughs> in the entirety of law enforcement had even two of these skills at the same time. Right. Some of them had a little experience with one. Or a little experience with another, other. or a little experience with a third. Not one of them had complete familiarity with all of these facets. So the people who were actually hunting for and trying to oppose the spreading danger of hack of hacks to both corporate and governmental systems had no understanding of how any of it worked. Just the most rudimentary, just this incredibly basic, there's a little box. That, there's some, some ones and some zeros in there. The ones and the zeros uh, make things. And this computer, stuff happens. This, you know, just, this magic box makes things happen by magic of computers who I don't understand. And then, like heavy metal Satanists with their Satan magic... Make the make the magic box bad. And, you bad. Know, and that's you hurt where, my magic box. When Mike mentioned earlier, we're right back to now, <laughs> is the fact that uh, these guys looked at with some of the religious backgrounds and nothing bad about having religion, no, no. but some of the hysteria that had been uh, stirred up throughout their time about the satanic panic had now started to see the, like, wait, the Illuminati and Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, how they get them into it. And then they take them to the next level, which is cyberpunk, which will teach them how to tear apart the very fabric of our society. We've got to stop them. Yeah, you're looking at a very in incredibly specific era, post-1970s, where you've seen the rise, not just of people being of faith, which I right, robustly which support. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm real keen on it myself, but... Uh, Leaving that aside, you had seen the rise of mass televangelism and mass media. Uh, so evangelical Christianity had taken on a decidedly frantic, creepy, weird tinge that had not existed. Okay, this was not something that was a big part of the public consciousness. And unfortunately, a lot of these gentlemen in law enforcement were lock, stock, and barrel true believers. Or at least they felt very strongly that, well... These are pastors. 
These are good Christian people of faith. They would never lie. Except they did. They, they wouldn't lied. pay a prostitute for sex in a hotel, <laughs> would they? <laughs> Turns out they would. Yeah, or, you know, they wouldn't embezzle tens of millions of dollars for private jets and, you know, hide the money all over the world. No, as it turns out, you know, they had been led down all of these little crazy loopholes. Uh, they'd, they'd been led down the rabbit hole like Alice in Wonderland by people who, frankly, played on panic, played on fear, and they sold pretty much just straight-up naked lies. So, having given in to this crazed hysteria... These guys were primed to believe the worst. Right. And, and it takes us to the next stage. Yeah, which, you know, it it played out that they seized this uh, stuff. And, you know, of course, Steve Jackson, uh, who was nominally involved in the company at the time, um, came back and they had to re-put together the game from various notes and incomplete data. And, you know, try to do stuff from memory and... You know, they did get the Cyberpunk game out. And, yeah, it, uh, it took them months working and working and working, something that had been nearly ready for release. They really did an amazing job. Yeah, and they kept, uh, they got the product out, which it was uh, kind of controversial because people bought it just to see what it would, you know, what, is, what got them busted. And, of course, they said that nothing in there was in there. But uh, And they were quite accurate in making that statement. Uh, because at the, in state the book... For the record, there is nothing in any of those books that would allow a person who is not trained to become some kind of trained criminal mastermind. And that's act. what, that was the secret services tact is that this was a primer on how to commit cybercrime, And this is why they had to shut this down right now. It was an imminent threat. And you know, this was about to boil over <laughs> and they, as we put this forward, it sounds absurd. But this was their tact. Now, did they say in court that satanic conspirators are taking over our computer bulletin board system? No, they did not. No, no. But no. their their go to was Dungeons and Dragons hooks in young impressionable minds, then fills them full of satanic subliminal messages from rock and or roll, and then puts them in contact with computers and then with computers and this background of Satanism can then instruct them into an Illuminati-like organization that then enacts the will of their great dark lord and master. All hail Satan. Oh, sorry. Uh, that was a programming spot. Yeah, the level of interstitched paranoid fantasies that <laughs> uh, drifted through the minds of these guys was mind-boggling to people today, but... It shouldn't be because, I mean, you know, we're, we're not so evolved that we've moved that far from that kind of nonsense. It can't happen here. Yeah, that, that's uh, definitely... Uh, <laughs> it's already happened. Yeah, uh, so... Many times. And this was no different. This was yeah. a, a case of a, a group of people with an enormous amount of authority uh, and a terrifying level of total illiteracy. I mean, just zero context, zero understanding and eager to strut their stuff and be heroes for America. Yeah, and Did well, not end well. GURPS to them was another uh, alphabet soup that many uh, hackers and D&D gamers alike should be familiar with. You know, they were just like BBS, uh, BBS, excuse me, is um, broken down for bulletin board system GURPS. You know, this was all the type of speak that they would seem like if you looked at it from the outside, was completely... In, We'll back away from being too rowdy here. 
from Kinesa eyes, you can make the correlations that were made to enact this warrant. But Steve Jackson Games did get Cyberpunk out. Of course, it was edited. And uh, they did still continue contain how to hack with very stilted words that in the game of Cyberpunk, hacking is done through dice rolls rather than saying like, in Cyberpunk, the role-playing game, you roll dice and, or you facilitate a initiation with a bulletin board system or interface with the net directly through your console. They couldn't say that because they were once again afraid of getting raided as they knew that they were they had to comply with a court-ordered sanction. But they were able to get an injunction to get their game out. Nonetheless, uh, the GURP Cyberpunk book listed in unsolicited comments the United States Secret Service on its credit page. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, a, a perverse uh, nod to them uh, because it, they were a... Effectively, had it not been for their involvement, the scandal surrounding it would not have generated a lot of free buzz. I mean, I don't think the game would have sold anywhere near as well had it not been flagged by so many people who had read in the gaming community about... Yeah, it generated generated a lot of outrage, too, and unwanted attention on the Secret Service, which does pride itself on being the Secret Service. Well, yeah, the Secret and, Service has, you know, a multitude of actually very important jobs to do, and it's a proud organization with a long and storied tradition. Uh, and so to have their eye blacked by this monumental bungling, I, and I, there's no other better way yeah, to put we're it. Gonna, yeah, we're going to cover that in a minute, but where you're going with this is that it brought a lot of attention on them, and not just from gamers, but advocacy, advocacy groups, excuse me, and... Also, Electronic Frontier Foundations was uh, founded from this. Uh, what wasn't it? The Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yeah, EFF. Uh, uh, this was like at their their birth period. Uh, Bruce Sterling, another uh, cyberpunk author, also did a whole expose on this and wrote about how that they came to the wrong. They got their facts right, but they came to the, all the wrong conclusions. If you looked at it from a certain point of view, you could understand how these guys who were entrusted with protecting the United States infrastructure. And at this time, it was very fragile. How they could become alarmed at the fact of a bunch of cyber terrorists taking control of electronics and telecommunication grid through the Internet. And again, where I stand depends on exactly which question you ask. If you ask, hey, don't you think that the nation needed to start taking Internet security seriously at that time? I would say absolutely yes. We literally are constantly behind uh, mm-hmm. in doing yeah. this. There is a malaise that comes over people. Like, well, what's working right now is working good enough. I don't want to spend anybody to upgrade. That kind of malaise creates vulnerabilities. And so I would unilaterally stand with the agencies that are going, we need to do something right now. Now, if you ask the different question, did they do the right things? Then my answer would <laughs> turn around and be absolutely not. In yeah, fact, you, great job. You want to protect wrong. the United States' uh, very fragile, uh, fledgling cyber network. That's a good. That's a good goal to have. <laughs> Busting a company that makes role playing games as the perpetrator of a manifesto to engage cyber activity in criminal organizations with no, you did it wrong. 
Yes. And so <laughs> terrorizing a lot of pimpled nerds is not exactly an effective strategy for preparing for the future. Uh, they, they really dropped the ball. But Steve Jackson Games sued the Secret Service for damages. And, uh, and there were won. three of. Yeah, they won. And uh, the thing was, is that on this, they claimed that the seizures were illegal under the Privacy Protection Act of 1980, the Electronics Communication Privacy Act, and the Stored Communications Act. Lloyd Blankenship was not party to the suits, and the case came to trial in 1993. And, uh, of course, they won. They won two out of the three counts, were awarded $50,000 in statutory damages, and a quarter million in attorney fees. No compensatory uh, damages were rewarded. The judge said that Steve Jackson had had little involvement in the ga his game company at the time of the raid, and the company was close to Chapter 11 bankruptcy anyway, and all the renewed involvement in the wake of the raid had turned the company's fortunes around. Yeah, and we're borrowing from the Wikipedia article for brevity here. Uh, you know, yeah, but, but, it, but it's a script that I, I can I'm easily I'm willing to read. vouch that uh, this is extremely accurate based on what we recorded Oh, at the time. well, it's absolutely accurate because they lost, they got two of the three given to them, and the third one, basically. <laughs> the judge handed in some stinging yeah, slaps. Yeah, he, he reprimanded the Secret Service, said that their warrant <laughs> preparation was sloppy, which, coming to the Secret Service, yeah. That's yeah. a terrible thing for a judge from the bench at that level of district court to say. And that they needed, quote-unquote, better education regarding relevant statutes, which is another scathing rebuke from the bench. Well, yeah, don't bring federal overreach in front of a Texas judge. Because <laughs> yeah. it ain't got nothing to do with parties or partisanship, okay? It has to do with, you know, you bring a wild reinterpretation of statute in front of them, uh, and you haven't done any of your due diligence, uh, and you've broken several elementary-level rules along the way, you're going to get pulled up short and sharp. And, you know, that judge did exactly that. So Steve Jackson Games uh, got some of their comeuppance uh, in a very oh, successful yeah. game. Yeah, uh, a quarter million in uh, attorney's fees is no small thing after everything's sorted out. But $50,000 in damages. And, of course, the judge had also said, that, hey, you know, you benefited well from the publicity surrounding this whole thing. So. Yeah, you don't make a lot of money to begin with, so it's not like this property that you lost here. Uh, you, you lost it for a matter of, like, perhaps uh, half a year. Uh, yeah, well, it, it came at great cost and personal sacrifice to many of the people who worked on it. Yeah. Because they had to, you know, these were on build hours. This was just to get it out to get some product into people's hands, which would, of course, recoup the losses that they'd already suffered. But the indemnity that they had to suffer from being put into the situation could have just been avoided if somebody would have paid a little closer attention to what was going on. And that's the main mentioning, point. Rather than an incredibly suspicious attitude of like shadowy international conspiracy, uh, mm. you know, uh, this is this is like a James Bond thriller. Uh, a little less of that incredibly <laughs> naive mentality, and a little more actually show up in a suit and tie and sit down and have a look at the material. More better yet, at any stage, any of that level of attention to detail could have alleviated all of this. Some it's good old-fashioned police work of investigation and... Or someone even marginally literate on the subject. Or uh, even just walking in and asking questions to the staff. Yeah. Which I, was one of the things that Steve Jackson did talk about later. You can see uh, he talks about it in... Uh, I think he's doing a new 30-year uh, anniversary thing that should be out here shortly. But uh, he, the one that I watched uh, YouTube, he said that, you know, if they would have just come in and asked questions to begin with, we would have been more than happy to sit him down. 
and uh, show them everything we had. But instead, they took a very adversarial relationship, thinking that there was something imminent about to happen and that they needed to strike now and with great urgency along. And that's why we call this episode Operation Sun Devil. They wanted to hit this with a great amount of authority to scare these hackers and show them who was boss, which, in fact, they did. But the problem was is that you then in har- harbored a new sense of paranoia throughout the community, which causes them to go further underground and retreat even further from public scrutiny. And it's and worth conscience. mentioning that the hostility with which the initial lashback against hackers took place, that incredible sense of, you know, like, oh, rapists, murderers, you know, people like that, you know, eh, maybe in 12, 15 years they'll get out of jail. But you, you'll die there. You know, that incredible hatred of people mm. who hacked. That's a good it point. It set the tone for an adversarial relationship. Yeah, and it also uh, engendered support from a public and sympathetic members of the community, of the gaming community as yeah, well. Yeah, so basically they threw petrol on a, you know, like uh, a few tiny coals. Uh, the embers of this comparatively uh, non-malignant uh, phenomenon became much more malignant. I mean, by nece- by necessity these the self-defense just to exist uh, if you're going to do this you are automatically an enemy and you have a side now that was a terrible mistake tactically to make because there was a huge pool of talent there waiting to happen uh, that honestly could have I think, been extremely influential in mm-hmm. making a more resilient internet and a better prepared, better defended internet. Uh, and instead, the adversarial nature meant that like these became outlaws and absolute enemies. So, yeah, well, you saw the malicious side start to spread even faster after you know, that. And that's something that Bruce Sterling brought up in his book about it. And uh, the other, uh, that's a legacy issue, but I think that Hindsight they are, oh, they all, the hacker community has always been anti-authoritarian and has also been largely unfettered in any attempts to rein them in. I mean, anytime, even with the Legion of Doom and uh, Ecstasy Elite, those organizations came together, but there was no titular head. There was no way of uh, enforcing authority other than just basically outcasting somebody. Yeah, just a bunch of people going, dude. What the heck? That is not okay. Back yeah. off, man. Uh, that that was the limit of it. There was no boss, no structure. Yeah, no. you didn't have like you know. Okay, we're shutting you out. You know, and so be it. Um, that was uh, pretty much. Uh, it gets a little out of our uh, bailiwick there, but I think that what we wanted to try to bring you was some something maybe to snicker at a little bit because it's always fun to snicker at some uptight uh, tie wearing suits who just have no clue what they were doing. I understand it that Steve Jackson actually had to explain how role-playing games worked. And once these agents became involved in it, they were like, wow, that really sounds like a lot of fun. Can you run a game for us? And he's like, no. No, uh, he did try simulation moments. Yeah, he just during basically... During the course used... of where he had to explain the principles and essentially run like a little mock thing. Not a not an actual full fledged game, but like to okay, you've got your piece of paper. This is your character. You're making imaginary decisions with imaginary resolutions. Had to explain the whole process in minute detail to make it clear that this is not real life. This is a game. 
Yeah, and you would create a character that, you know... We have no difficulty telling that to the teenagers playing the game, but you had to explain to the middle-aged guys who were in law enforcement, you had to very painstakingly, like, just at elementary school level, mm. we're going to break it down in very tiny words. Yeah, they'd say, Not like, you're real. a cyber mercenary and you're a... Like a movie. You're a combat medic who has come from the cyber wars and blah, blah, blah. And, and they he would tell them these details and intrigue them. And he was just like, you know, yeah, it was just a, they didn't get it at first. But once they grasped the concept, suddenly they became interested. And then he said that, you know, but at that point he was very upset. And I would be too being uh, raked over the coals by a bunch of guys in suit telling me that I was a lifelong failure and all this other stuff. And that's the other thing that well, came yeah, out of it. It's just like with this. you and yeah. shake you down and get you to confess to stuff you haven't done. And they're just, they're hoping to get you on the run and then you know, extract concessions yep. from you, which I, you know, they're running from the textbook on that one. But when you consider that their entire initial summation was incorrect and riddled with inaccuracies, all of a sudden their conduct looks incredibly shameful. Uh, it, yeah. just and, you know, they, they also overstepped or their reach exceeded their grasp and or grasp exceeded their reach. I don't know. Um, they just basically way went out over the line on exacting the warrant without any due process or investigation. And they'd done the preliminaries, they immediately would have seen that, oh, this is a bad idea. This is just a game company doing something that's a simulation of some bullshit in the uh, real life world. We we have, you know, there there is nothing here that you could actually use yeah. to commit a crime. And the at, total absence of genuine material should have told them something. But it tells you how little people really understood about the reality yeah. of these crimes. You know, they, they did not understand how they were undertaken, uh, and yet they were tasked with trying to stop them. So you see that incredibly difficult Gordian knot mm. uh, that law enforcement was facing at that moment. It was. And Thorny while puzzle. we can make fun of them a little bit. Yeah, I, I poke fun, but I also speak with a, you know, a certain respect and a certain understanding that like this was a big job that nobody knew how to do. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was something that people were afraid of and well, as we often know, uh, heat from high up, you know, one a up. politician gets upset and reads, oh, I read this in the newspaper, this is a big news thing, and I'm going to go and make a big deal about this, so I look important in front of other people. But I'm not really going to treat this with any amount of seriousness. And this is a kind of... Uh, but I'm right. going to beat you up about it, and now you get your agency speaking, out there and do something. Speaking as a tough nerd, uh, you know, despite my love of nerdery, you know, it just uh, also, you know, kind of an old... Uh, scrungy survivor. Uh, I, I got to say, there's something about tough guy culture here, okay? Mm -hmm. And you cannot have, like, an entire uh, pyramid system leading up to the top of tough guys without the risk of every single one of them refusing to acknowledge that they have no idea what's going on. Okay, that <laughs> yeah, that just, just does not work. You know, you can't bring in some pimple-covered kid to explain to a guy who has oh, crawled through trenches and been through exhausting training. You cannot bring... You know, Hi, uh, my name's, you know, Milton Farnsworth. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help educate you about this process. Edu oh, God, kill him! I can't take another... His voice, literally like fingernails on a blackboard. I, I, I'm going to shoot him. I'm going to well, shoot him. You know, and you couldn't get these guys yeah, to sit can't. down and learn this stuff. 
but they were under enormous pressure. Like, you need to underhand, understand how to stop this right now. Are you going to make our leaders happy? Whoa. And they're like, yes, sir, I will totally do that. I'm going to kick butt and take names. But they didn't know how. <laughs> yeah, so they just... It's a beautiful irony. And so that's where we got to where we were with Steve Jackson. And, you know, poor Steve, you know, suffered under it. And Lloyd Blankenship, good guy. And although we bring him up, you know, I do have to say this, that I'm not trying to make a victim out of him or make a martyr out of him at the same time. No, he broke he, laws. He paid the price. And they knew who they were dealing with. But he didn't, as Mike said exhaustively at the first part of this, didn't come there saying, hey, I'm a big time hacker and I'm going to help sell your cyberpunk game. He was just like, hey, this is something I know a lot about. And you know what? If a guy came to me and knew a whole lot about stuff and I didn't know anything about it, I would be more than happy to let them do the rule making and crafting. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you find somebody who has a good, solid working knowledge of the topic you're working on, you don't really sit there and go, have they used this for <laughs> ill purposes or are they just highly literate? <laughs> well, just like Bruce Sterling there are such describes as what, literate people. Yeah, as Bruce Sterling tells about what it takes to make a hacker. And those, uh, I just broke it down from, for you. You know, he's not kidding, man. It's it's a rarefied set of skills, and it's not because they're super elite or hard to learn, but you have to be driven to do it. And this is something you really want to do, and you're going to find a way to make it happen. Because you're going to exhaust a lot of time. And at that era and in that time, uh, much of this was, you better devote yourself to it, because there is no other way. There is no easy path to this. There is nobody hands you, like, a thing, and this is not a Neo thing where you just take the pill and boom... You know, you're the one. Does not work like that. Yeah. Did not work like that and never has. And, so, of course, then we have the generation of script kitties. But that's a thing <laughs> for another time. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, I think we talked about this subject quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, but it was we had fun. Of, we hope you had some fun. We got to yeah. crawl into the Wayback Machine and go back to our time. So, yeah. welcome once again to 2002. Yeah, we had a little help from Wikipedia, but it made a nice script. And uh, we paraphrased from it, picked and chose. But uh, none of the facts there were uh, exaggerated. Uh, exaggerated or no. taken out of context they, they were just they were, we detected no wild inaccuracies yeah it was just uh pretty much this happened and right yeah so we kept to the good stuff on it so we hope you enjoyed and as always uh you enjoyed what uh we did just tell us uh, by either on our facebook page if you use that or myspace i think maybe we should start with a myspace present <laughs> i might <laughs> I don't even remember the password to it, yeah, but I, I, I think I had that. I never had a MySpace. The last time I was on it was literally a decade and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, by the time I was doing that uh, stuff, uh, I was playing a lot of WoW, so uh, people were talking about MySpace stuff, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> but what we do know is that you can get a hold of us on our usual haunts at Facebook or on Twitter, or of course you can download the Anchor app. And leave us a message, and we'll put you on the show, and we'll talk about what you said. So hopefully you enjoyed it tonight, and as always, we hope you have a good weekend. We'll see you Tuesday. So, But until that time, may, may the dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.